Oh God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, have you ever actually like kinked a hose while somebody was like hosing something? Yes. I did that to my dad one time. He was fucking pissed. I I, I've definitely, I definitely did that to my dad. That's good. Dads deserve it the most. This is a grand start. Yeah. This is how we always start. The auspicious way to begin our episode. I don't care for people who are prepared. I don't have time for it. Give me the, give me the chaos. That's what I want. I just noticed your shirt. I, yeah, Nick is wearing a Wild at Heart I've shirt I've been wearing right now. this shirt for months, waiting for you to notice. Yeah. Just every day. Just that explains the smell. Uh, no, just, that's just me. I'm just lost. <laughs> I, just get, I just get lost in your eyes, Nick. Oh, Sweet of you. Yeah. It's the one that he was wearing in the interview when he freaks out and does all the punches and kicks, and then he uh, takes his shirt off and gives it to the interviewer. So if you're lucky, I'll take my shirt off, and one of you could go home with it today. I, hey. I've, I've, so. seen, I've seen you naked. It's fine. Yeah. It is fine. It's, you know, decent. Yeah. The UK's own Terry Wogan in that interview. We know it well over here. One of our one of our dearly departed greats. God rest his soul. Oh, man. Oh, before we start, can we just talk about the weather for a second? Because I walked through so many spider webs on the way to my car today. It is spider time for sure. <laughs> yeah. So in Seattle, we have this thing called spider season. This is, this is up there with the most American things you could say to me. <laughs> do, do you <laughs> not have spider season? <laughs> I mean, we, we have spiders, but we don't have a season where they're just like out with the family going, nice day for it today, huh? That is really how <laughs> exactly it is. Exactly how yeah. it is. My downstairs neighbor showed me where the spider stick was. Like, she has a broom that she just leaves outside for just, taking care of the webs. Oh, you have a spider stick. There's a oh, spider yeah. stick. So I it's went, like a poop knife, but for outside. I went to get the spider stick yesterday to go to my car, and the spiders had built a web in front of the stick. <laughs> they're learning Gosh, they're learning <laughs> they know what our weapon is and they're trying to protect them they're trying to these stop are, us from getting it these are good spiders <laughs> i don't like it you're describing spider like season and i just feel like you would pity me and say like daryl you wouldn't last five minutes in our world and i probably wouldn't <laughs> uh, for... i'm not built for spider season yeah for the most part the weather out here is a lot like uh southwest ireland like kind of that Oh, God, I only know freedom units. <laughs> I don't remember Celsius for like... I only know Celsius, please. <laughs> Speak down to me. Is that what the... I'm just going to guess Is it that... at like 13 degrees. It's usually 13C around here. <laughs> Welcome back to Cage Match, Colin, a roundabout way of meeting Nicolas Cage. I'm your host, Sean, here with my co-host... Nick! And our producer... Peter. And we have a special guest today from the Cage Rage podcast. We have Daryl. Hello, gang. Hello, everyone. Thank you for inviting me. What a delight it is to be here with you all today. It's been really educational. I mean, we're already busting into like uh, the metric podcasting scene. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. We're coming for you. <laughs> it's a niche that needs to be tapped into, and I'm sick of yeah. no one talking about it. But we're not going to go all the way. We're still going to use standard units like inches. I think you named the podcast Freedom Units. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, on this podcast, we talk about, rate, and review 64 Nicolas Cage best films as decided by us. Uh, and we will one day decide what Nick Cage's best, most cagey film is, as again, as decided by us. Right. So it's kind of a bracket style, 64 movies head to head, and we whittle them down into a, you know, final 32, final 16, etc., etc. 64 movies go in. One movie comes out. 
if we can be bothered to finish this. Yeah, we'll see. Season one, getting close to wrapping up. Season two, who knows? That's a lot of rewatching. So, Daryl, your show, uh, in brief, you are really just running through the entire catalog of Nick Cage's filmography, correct? Yes, sir. I hear you say 64 only, and I think rookie, rookie numbers. <laughs> to be fair, this is a bracket that kind of like timeline ended at unbearable weight because that's when we started this so daryl you've made it through the entire catalog at this point correct pretty much got one or two to catch up on but um we were talking the other day like and you said oh you like you started this a few years ago and i was like oh my god i've been doing this for years <laughs> nicholas cage has been my life for years but this is this is like the weirdest brag for a 31 year old man to make but yes i have seen every nicholas cage movie ever made and no, I'm not the same person that I was three years ago. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, we're almost 40. So <laughs> you could be ruining your life 10 years later. Yeah, you got a head start on us. I know, I'm getting in early. I'm getting the midlife crisis out of the way right now. Well, you get to take a lot more of this knowledge into the dating scene. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. Yeah. I've been trying to get my partner into Nicolas Cage for a few years. and I'm whittling her down bit by bit. I made sort of made a watch knowing with me, which we'll talk about later. Oh boy! Uh, but more more misses than hits with some of the films that I've showed her so far. But it's a it's a long process, and uh, that is the commitment of my love. So I want to. Uh, was there a specific order you watched them in? Did you go chronological, or was it just kind of? Oh, did you go alphabetical? <laughs> I'm not a monster. Um, I went chronologically, the straightest, safest way to do it, and then you could just see this evolution of cage this progression of cage from the 80s up until now and the most interesting part of the journey is watching how his hairline just evolves as well um i usually try and track his sternum bush oh that's not a bad one to look at it comes and goes i think there's less sternum bush as time goes on like valley girl i don't know if you've covered that that he he basically had the batman signal as a sternum bush i'm sure we'll talk about it more i'm sure in uh uh wild at heart but it almost looked like he had his chest hair shaved into like a capital I and like he just shaved his pecs, but it was just, I mean, the people who can see me know what I'm doing. Oh, yeah. You're this indicating is... a capital I. Yeah, on my chest. We do a lot of physical comedy on this podcast, uh, yeah. Daryl, just so you know. We like to paint a picture. The best place for physical comedy is through an audio medium, I find. It's gotten me this far. <laughs> Daryl, we were talking this morning about your episode about Pig and how you had the conversation about the KFC and champagne. And I believe you were calling it uh, Shamtucky Fried Chicken. And I think that's a <laughs> fantastic name. That sounds like the sort of mentally ill thing I would have said. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I know, it's, it's something you've got to do. You've got to have KFC and fried chicken. You've got to, you've got to honor the man the way he would want to be honored with his, uh, his favorite meal. Well, we were thinking, too, as we actually get to our final four, um, there there's a couple of things that we might try and do, you know, renting out a, a movie theater or something and having people come and watch the movies with us. But the only food and drink that would be served would be KFC and uh, champagne. So <laughs> I will be on the first flight out. Yes. <laughs> I will max my credit card with no hesitation. We'll try to do it during spider season so you get the entire... Uh, you experience know, not, uh we're just a little over a year out so yeah we'll probably do on spider season yeah god i hate i hate spider season so much i've never <laughs> i've only known about this for 10 minutes and i hate it do you guys do you know what like burning man is do you guys have the concept of burning man or have you heard of burning <laughs> yeah do you have your own burning man like burning chap <laughs> burning fellow 
Uh, I am aware that this. It's basically the Wicker Man, except people celebrate it in a desert, isn't that? Isn't that kind of the thing? Yeah, and they Pretty do a much. bunch of drugs and shit. There's fewer bees. So I've got a neighbor who is really big into the Burning Man scene, and he has built like a. Uh, it's about five and a half feet tall by around like nine to 12 feet long, just giant hairy spider that he keeps on top of his garage. And it like looms out over the sidewalk. Like it's going to reach down and grab somebody. This thing was not, I was not warned about this the first time I went to Nick's place. So I am driving down the street. It's like, Ooh, cake shop driving, driving, driving. Holy shit. Giant spider. And like (laughs) swerve my car in the middle of the road. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. And there's no like street light next to it. So oh. it's like you just look at it and it's like Shelob. That's at, what they call yeah. it. It's Shelob. At but... night in the rain, that thing yeah. is truly horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrifying. That's it feels like you guys have got like the big holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween, and then spider season are like the big four. We've got it all. All the hits. <laughs> uh speaking of the hits. 2009's Knowing. We're going to take a hit and talk about this movie. My favorite part about having guests is having to do less work. So, Daryl, why don't you break Knowing down for us? So, Knowing basically uh, charts the journey of an astrophysics professor, um, played by Nicolas Cage, whose son comes into possession of a um, cryptic document of numbers, which Cage soon finds out, uh, predicts, various disasters that have occurred that will occur and for some reason decides not to stay in his lane and work out what the numbers mean just like that call of duty meme uh and that's knowing baby Masterclass, <laughs> thank you i've, mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. summarized a lot of cage films in my time <laughs> not my first rodeo so this is very much in that era of disaster porn films there's the whole string board conspiracy theory which then takes a hard turn into disaster porn, planes crashing, people like on fire, the whole subway sequence. There was a lot of people just getting fucking killed. Yeah. yeah. Some of these were actually like really weirdly telling. Like uh, there was a uh, subway car that derailed when the, the driver was drunk and killed. It only killed like five people. Those numbers were weak, but it did hurt like 160 people. And that yeah. was pretty impressive. <laughs> five deaths we don't waste our time on five deaths yeah nope. they obviously <laughs> bumped it up for the movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh now i'm sad <laughs> they don't make you rig- they don't, don't make don't you worry, register your train step outside and get yourself a face full of spiders and you'll be right yeah, that's true <laughs> don't need a background check on a train baby <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> we live in a horrible society yeah <laughs> Everything we say is too soon. <laughs> Liam Hemsworth was in it. Yeah, he played Spencer. Yeah. Um, who, who? Where was he? I had to go back and look. He so was one of the students, right? Yeah. So when he was oh. at, the one, he's like throws the sun too, and he's like, "Tell me about the sun." He's like, "It's hot." That's Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> How did he end up getting a credit on the fucking Wikipedia for that? Because it was his because then he first later role. went to be on to become Liam Hemsworth. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, because now he yeah. gets to take over the wildly popular Witcher series. That's true. Uh, it all starts with Cage. What, this movie starts out like back in the 50s or some shit? Yeah, like the inaugural school and or class of this school. And they're going to drop like, what are those things called? Time uh, capsule. A time capsule. 
yeah. uh, down. and So everyone draws pictures of the future. Yeah, except for this little girl, Lucinda, who just writes a bunch of numbers like a mad woman. She had really nice handwriting. I'll yeah. give her that. Yeah. So when they put the time caps on the ground, they like they put the, the big metal plate over it. And then when they take it off, they just take it off. So that thing wasn't sealed. No way that thing stayed there for 50 years. I was a shitty kid. I would have tried to get into that. It does feel like a proper prank. Yeah, manhole covers aren't that heavy either. Well, I mean, they're certainly heavy, but it's not that hard to pull one off. But yeah. I've gotten in. <laughs> Were you looking for turtles? <laughs> no, my college in, uh, when I was going to Montana, we figured out that we could pop the manhole in the center of campus and it would drop you down into the steam tunnels or like in the tunnels where all the steam lines run. So you could get into every building on campus because there were no doors because the pipes just had to go in. So we could get into the science building and like into their storage room and play with their microscopes and like, I don't know, go drink. But it's always like 85, 90 degrees in there. So you'd be dropping in in the middle of winter in like shorts and a t-shirt because <laughs> that's what's going to be comfortable. And then you look like a madman when you crawl out at like three in the morning just sweating balls. That sounds so freaky, steam tunnels. I think you saying, though, that cre- uh, sneaking into science labs to play with like microscopes is like the nerdiest thing <laughs> I've ever heard. Yeah, like real comes... hooligan shit, right? Yeah, I know it's my just... voice really makes me sound like I'm some big badass, but uh, no, no. <laughs> I'm a microscopes at midnight kind of guy. <laughs> oh, that's the name of your autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> microscopes at midnight. I'm going to zoom in on this thing. And then you crawl back through the steam tunnels. This thing looks dumb. What's it look like really close? Really dumb. The politest acts of rebellion that is possible for anyone to commit. Five seconds of inconvenience. Uh, What were we talking about again? Knowing. Knowing. Yeah, this movie. All right, so you got Nick Cage as John... Costler, uh, Rose Byrne is Diana. Uh, I think it's pronounced Kessler. Kessler, thank you. Uh, and really, it's, it's Ben Mendelsohn is the only <laughs> other one that is important, and he fucking rules. I love yeah, him. Yeah, Ben Mendelsohn's awesome. Uh... Interesting though. So 2009, he has that one quote. He goes, "She thinks you're intriguing," which I thought was code for gay. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> okay, uh, this is of an era. Yeah, that era is everything before five years ago. Yeah, pretty much. Turns out not everything is gay. You know, some things are a little bit gay. So we'll, we'll go in the right direction, I think. Or maybe things should be more gay. I don't know. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a gay spectrum. A gay color wheel? I think all color wheels are gay. This yeah. conversation expresses exactly how movies were written in 2009. <laughs> this is how that line got in there. Oh, absolutely. It's like, I don't know. He's intriguing. Intriguing or maybe just a little bit gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was the basis of whole characters once upon a time that they were gay person one, gay person two. And now these characters have names. So I think we're going in the, in somewhat of the right direction. And I'm here for all of it. More names for gay characters, Hollywood, if you're listening. More names. Huh. That's kind of actually like a original Dungeons and Dragons where it's like, elf is your class. Your entire identity is wrapped elf. up in this one thing. Yeah, My entire character for his whole season is a gay elf. Any backstory? Nope. Just fires bows and is gay. Yep. <laughs> what else would you need? I just love those pointy-ear dongs. Oh, God. No okay. <laughs> 50 years later, when it's dug up, Nick Cage's uh, son, who has a hearing aid for reasons, gets Lucinda's letter and wants to figure out what the code is and 
like the good father Nick Cage is spends every night in his armchair with a bottle of whiskey and stares at it and sees the numbers nine eleven, which of course stands out to an American. Yeah, so that's all I think about. He goes full conspiracy <laughs> board and like finds all the dates and tracks it down with like numbers of deaths and and later on finds out that the other numbers that don't mean anything are latitude and longitude. As an airplane falls down on him, yeah, on the correct date at those coordinates. Like, he could have been anywhere in the world. It, It's good of Lucinda to have set up, like, the first stepping stone literally blocks away from the school. It speaks to the teaching of 1950s America, though. They were a little better at geography and mathematics. and I read that her full name was Lucinda Embry, which is like an anagram of badly numeric. <laughs> that seems like something someone came up with later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, about this film, though, it kind of feels to me, and I'm not sure if you've covered it yet, but Knowing feels to me like the film they wanted Left Behind to be, even though the ending kind of tanks. But there's a lot of things about this that don't make sense. Like, one, there was no reason at all, logically, for Nicolas Cage's characters to start delving into these numbers. He just got, like, a a glass ring on. It's like, oh. Then he sees, trigger word for Americans, 9-11. And then what I loved is that he's Googling 9-11, and he sees like 2,996 deaths. And in the most like passively bland and emotional way, 2,996. Come on! <laughs> as, if he, as if, why couldn't you round it up to 3,000? And like he's, what's something I, I, I find baffling as well. I think they're at MIT. Is that, is that the, the yeah. college yeah. he teaches at? Which I understand is one of the most like uh, world-renowned institutes of learning in the world. But there he is, just a, a, a depressed astrophysicist professor who's like, everything's shit, everything sucks, throwing suns at people. Like, I'm paying tens of thousands of dollars for this education. This is great. And the other thing, you know, say what you want about child actors. When they get the time capsule out and his son gets the numbers, did anyone else feel like an instant burning rage when that child ran behind him? It's like, what did you get? Boring. Everyone else got pictures. Yeah, like I wanted to beat the ball. shit out of that kid. Yeah, fuck that kid, that kid so really much. Sucked. <laughs> we, we've been tracking kind of loosely when um, Cage movies have a kid in them, if it's a good kid or a bad kid. Like the kid and pig. Cool kid. Handpan. Um, handpan, yeah. That kid fucking rules. This kid and that kid suck shit. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the, the son in this... Uh... He's such a little dick. I don't like that kid. It's like a carryover from Left Behind. It's like, right. well, they had a bad kid. We better have a shitty kid, too. Just can't rapture him right away. <laughs> <laughs> the first scene of Nicolas Cage and his son, they're like in the backyard. Uh, Nicolas Cage is grilling up some hot dog because it's dad's famous hot dog night. Just cooking. They're looking through a telescope. They're talking. They're talking about, you know, life. if there's life on other planets. His wife has died at some point. And the kid's just kind of being <laughs> Life on other planets. His wife's dead. You know, standard Sunday night hot dog conversation. Like, the, kids, <laughs> hot dog night. the kid's being kind of shitty about it. And then... Uh, Your mom's dead. Have a fucking wiener, kid. <laughs> I mean, that's not too dissimilar to what happened to me. I was about that age. Uh, but This the sounds kid, like a therapy moment. Should this be a therapy moment? I went, I've been to therapy. It's therapy fun. pod. But, like, the kid's going inside to watch a nature documentary. And the kid's like... What about hot dog night? It's like, I'm a vegetarian now. You couldn't have said something before you started cooking? Bad kid. I mean, it sets up a nice comedic line, though. You couldn't tell the guy who buys the groceries? I just did. 
I mean, he's still a shitty kid. Yeah. And he would get to eat a uh, a plain bun with mustard. Yeah. <laughs> I just would have whipped it into that kid's room. It's funny. Uh, so when I was pulled over and I got a, a DUI in college, I woke up. That's what you get for driving in the steam tunnels. Yeah. <laughs> I could stop stealing microscopes, man. I woke up in jail and like the breakfast they served me was two hot dogs split down the middle on white bread, just covered in yellow mustard. But I was a vegetarian and I just like hold it up to the door and I'm like fucking hung over as shit. And I'm like, man, I can't eat this. Like, That's what you get. I'm like, so is that where your love of hot dogs started? No, I loved hot dogs before too. I've seen you down a dog. Yeah, I can eat it. I can fucking scarf a wiener. It's fine. Can I just add, can I just add that like we don't call them wieners over here, and it's so funny to me. Uh, people don't call them wieners here so much either, <laughs> because it also means penis, and it's just so funny to me. Wait a minute. You mean there's cultural repercussions to the way I eat tube meat? <laughs> it turns out we're more different than we thought, kid. I, I always thought the funniest one was fanny pack, though. Oh, you know? man. I, <laughs> Translation issue. So my, I got so many stories. I'm sorry. I had a professor in college who uh, his wife was from England, and he went and was visiting, and she like had just gone shopping and bought some new pants. And she comes back, and they're like with her family. And she's like, what do you think of my new pants? And he just says, your fanny looks real good in them. <laughs> and he didn't understand what he had done. Yeah. It's like, hey, nice camel toe, basically. <laughs> uh, Michael Caine describing what a camel toe is will live rent-free in my brain for the rest of my life. <laughs> All right, so <Knowing>. this, film, <laughs> this film does that thing that I... So the main character, everyone thinks is crazy until they don't. Until they're on fire. And then they rapidly don't. So Rose Byrne's character, it's like, she finally believes all the things he's saying. She has a daughter, uh... Oh, right. She's the daughter of Lucinda, yeah. the girl who inscribed the numbers initially. And she has another daughter who's about the kid, uh, the son's age. And that's how Nick Cage kind of like meets these people. Well, tries to set his son up. I love how he figured it out, too, because he's like sitting there in his car with his kid, like at the school or something. And Lucinda's like grand or daughter or whatever lives across the street. And on the mailbox, it just says Embry, whatever. Yeah. Like she hyphenated her last name. He's and like, that like hmm. makes all the connection for him. He's like, wait, a, wait a minute. School, Embry. Embry. So, but like, she thinks he's crazy until she doesn't. Until like she starts seeing it's all true, and then when he finally kind of figures out, figures it all out, gets the final numbers because she didn't. Uh, Lucinda didn't get to write them all down at the end. Never wrote them down elsewhere besides in that door. But he finally gets the final numbers. He's like, I figured it out, and she's like, No, we have to go to the caves and save the kids because there's going to be a big earth ending event uh solar flare and you've believed him up till now why is this where you're gonna stop he had like maybe one scene prior told her that it would be safe in the caves so she's already in the the mindset of well this science man told me i could sit down in a cave and i'd be okay with my kids and she just wants to protect her kids and then they're also being followed by nick cage's friends from city of angels Mm-hmm. Yes. I kept thinking it was uh, Spike from Buffy. Yes. It did look like Spike from Buffy. Yeah. Which would have been a way cooler movie if Spike was just stalking so, yeah, Nicolas Cage. The family's being stalked, and it's these blonde guys in trench coats. And when he finally confronts one, 
this is where the movie just takes its turn. Because I was enjoying the little conspiracy film up to this point. But he confronts this guy who opens his mouth and a beam of light shoots out of his mouth. I, I fucking love that. Because, like, it was his mouth was just, like, some vast pit of blackness. And yeah. then it was, like, everything was just searing light. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. It oh, gets less cool yeah. going on. But Nick Cage's dad is a preacher and they've stopped talking because... Nick Cage doesn't believe in God. He's a scientist. Because Nick Nicolas Cage, Cage is, is the son of a preacher. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Lucinda like tries to run off with the kids. Not Lucinda. Uh, Lucinda's daughter tries to run off with the kids. The men in black steal the kids, kidnap the kids, steal her car. She's chasing after them. Sideswipe. Dead. Just gone. Deserved. Deserved death. It, I, I thought she deserved it the first time I watched it. She deserved it the second time that she watched it. <laughs> I laughed on both occasions <laughs> when she got plowed through by that truck. Um, that's what happens when, like, you just take off with the kid. This is what this is what's going to happen. You were told to go to the coordinates. You didn't do it. What I fa- I was in the funny mindset though because she's panicking in that like gas station just before, and then the alien people come along and they look like every member of like the duo Eurythmics, just in like. <laughs> <laughs> They look like all of your rhythmics just wiped into one. She turns around the gun, like you didn't lock the door or anything. You left the keys in the car, like they're just like chucking black pebbles at people. Um, <laughs> but there's that really quick, like she turns around on like the payphone, and there's like a quick zoom into her face, which I just I love a zoom. I love a sudden zoom. They're some of the funniest shots you can do in film for me. So I'm like, well, this is really funny now, because I thought, like, I agree with you guys. I thought like um, the first. Two-thirds of this film are actually quite good. The conspiracy element is quite intriguing. Like, the the disasters that are happening, the mystery it builds, it's like, uh, this is actually a little bit better than I thought it was going to be. This is kind of fun. Um, it, it kind of goes a bit crazy when the first plane crash suddenly happens, which is, like, I guess, like, a good effect for the time and quite sudden it's out of nowhere. I was only slightly taken out of that bit because there's there's a guy on literally on fire running from the wreckage of a plane. I love a guy on fire. And then Nicolas Cage tries to stop this man to asking questions like, "Hi! Hi! <laughs> like the man is on fire. He's got better things to do. <laughs> I'm trying to pay for parking. Can you tell me where a meter is?" All right, so there I found the connective tissue between uh this movie and next. Funny female uh, protagonist dies. Because I will never not laugh at Jessica Biel blowing up. Jessica Biel blowing up no, was fantastic good. in Next. <laughs> like he's, he's got carryover hair as well, because he's come off Bangkok Dangerous. It's not the worst hair he's ever had. It's close. It's in, like, top 20 bad cage hair, if I ever do a definitive ranking of Cage's hair. And I want to. Um, but it's like, it's this growing backwards, weird, pushed-back side-parting thing, which makes... You know, I've seen some hair in my time, but that one baffles me. It makes no sense. I don't understand how hair grows backwards. It, it <laughs> defies follicle science. Um, shove that up your asteroid physicist pipe and swivel on it. Um, <laughs> but then I think I think down the line he must have got. I think he must have got like a hair transplant or something. Because Absolutely. Oh, yeah. He's got like the little peak, the sort of like the widow's peak thing, and then at, at this point in time, the twenty twenties, his hair is straight. So. Don't think this kind of thing goes unnoticed by me, because I've been staring at that face for a long time. <laughs> well, and you've watched it sequentially. Yeah. You've, you've, you've seen everything change and go back and evolve into some new thing. Like the sea, sea waves on a beach, I've seen it go out and I've seen it come back in, serene <laughs> as you like. So, the end of this film, 
I think I texted Nick after finishing them. I was like, I feel like you just primaled me. No. No. Primaling <laughs> being Nick's like, we're going to watch this movie, and halfway through it just cuts to primal. I mean, we're going to do that someday. I know. I'm going to trick you into watching primal but, like, again. I was watching this, again, what I thought was an interesting conspiracy film, which was a lot better than I expected, and then suddenly I'm watching Left Behind. Yeah, so when did you guys realize that this was a Rapture film? I was curious about when everybody else picked up on it. I mean, as soon as she mentions their their uh, her his sister mentions their father and, you know, he's the son of a preacher. I'm like, "All right, this is going to have some, you know, this is going to have some overtones I'm not really here for, but whatever." Um and as soon as yeah, the light came out of the dude's mouth, I'm like, "They're fucking angels." Hmm. Or are they? <laughs> they had wings. Those stupid ass light wings. Yeah. No. Uh... You know, I'm not like a religious myself or anything, so I kind of didn't really pick up on any like iconography or symbolism. I thought with the people like your rhythmics just appearing just in the background, like sweet dreams of May. Like I thought it was going to be like an Illuminati kind of thing or some secret society kind of deal, but then at the end they just transform into these celestial beings, and I was like, oh, this fucking sucks. Oh, boo. <laughs> boo. They've taken the kids off to another planet and they're going to make the kids like suck and fuck and recreate. This sucks. I hate this. Why are they taking rabbits? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So yeah, there's the whole arc thing where they take two rabbits, two children, they're a couple deer. I'm hoping the sake of it's absurd that two people made a planet in the first place. Well, there were other spaceships. There were, there were other so kids. So I'm assuming, that yeah. I'm hoping there are other kids. My main hope, though, is those kids are left on an alien planet at the end of the film. There's a lot. There are two lions on that planet somewhere. I hope they eat those fucking kids. <laughs> well, he's been watching like lion documentaries his whole life, so he's prepared for that. That's true. That's why he was chosen. Yeah. Only the chosen. <laughs> you are the Damn only it. one who can fight the space lions, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Based on their documentary habits, is why they've made it to the new planet Earth Two. The spaceships go off. They look like just shattered butt plugs about to explode, entering out of universe anuses. And then I kind of liked when like um, Kessler goes back to his family and they sort of reconnect. But like his his sister opens the door and she's like, "Oh, where's your son?" And he says, oh, "He's fine." Like I kind of that kind of baffled me because it was either that he would be like, oh, "He's been taken by space aliens." Um, the space alien thing would have been a fine ending, but no, we have this prolonged, like, seven-minute sequence of him driving into New York during the apocalypse. People are, like, running around, like, just moving out of the way of his car. People have, like, big Ikea bags for some reason. But he gets home, hugs his family. Then we get, like, two straight minutes of just New York just going up. Fire. Lots of fire. Yeah. Fuck New York is what this film is saying. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the uh, planet was fine. Just fuck New York. This is real nitpicky, but when they show uh, uh, Times Square there and everything's blowing up and like you see all the TV screens like go to static and then go out, that wouldn't have happened. They would have lost power so much earlier. <laughs> that is a big nitpicky thing. <laughs> oh, it fucking bothered the shit out of me after watching this, like going back and looking at the poster for it because it's just like the planet and it's on fire. They don't like really get into like what's going to destroy the planet or even that the planet's going to be destroyed until well after an hour. Yeah. That just bothered me that they put the reveal in the poster. Might as well have given it angel wings. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. What do you guys think about performances? I was along for the ride. Nick Cage was perfectly cagey for this role. Well, for 2009, a good Nicolas Cage performance. Yeah. I mean, two years previously, he had done Next. And was it bad. was way worse. Yeah, Way so, worse. Yeah. Better hair. Yeah, better hair. Better jacket. I don't know. I wish he had been wearing that golden jacket again. So, uh, in terms of our rating, good cage, good movie, bad cage, bad movie, good, bad, bad, good. Uh, Daryl, where would you put this? You know, I'd say good cage. I think it's a perfectly fine performance. And I think everyone gives decent performances. Actually, fuck the kids. They don't, you know. This is the thing I hate in, like, movies in general when, like, a weird thing happens, be it supernatural or extraterrestrial or whatever. And then it's always the kids that pick up on the signals and they're just, like, they just go with it. They're like... Oh, they said they're going to take us because we can hear the, 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 the static and the stuff. Like, fuck you, boy. Like, if that was my son, I'd be grabbing him by the arm. I'd be chinning the bastard. Like, you're on Earth <laughs> frying with the rest of us. Who oh, do you think you are? <laughs> you think you can get out of here? <laughs> oh, wait. Just welcome to America. <laughs> like, start blasting. He had a gun. He did. He did have a gun. The like... coward never even tried to shoot an angel. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he had a gun as if he was going to shoot a disaster to save himself. <laughs> I thought he was he was going to run down to to the subway and start shooting that train to stop it. That's our it. only solution to uh, to our problems in this country. Um, but I would agree. I think the performances were largely all right. Uh, ben Mendelsohn, great. Um, who just happens to be there, like at the end of the world, he's just hugging his wife in the middle of like Times Square as Nick Cage drives by. I think they were still in Boston oh, at that not? time. Right. But then they shot for or gave us some establishing shots in New York and stuff later. I was enjoying this movie up until the third act twist, at which point I'm like, fuck all of this. This, All my goodwill went out the window, so I'm going to say good cage, bad movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, agreed. I'd, I'd say it's a pretty good cage. Um, I, I'd give it a struggling movie. I'm, I'm okay with like 75% of it, but as soon as we got through like Lucinda's like stabbing cabin, it's... Uh, and it, and then it really gets to be like blatantly a Jesus movie. Yeah. It then it suffers for me. Yeah. Or I suffer for it. I don't know. <laughs> Everyone suffers. Yeah. Except Nick Cage, he got paid. This movie actually made pretty good money. It's of an era. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It is a disaster movie. It it does have a big name. It did have a big budget, you know. Anybody who saw the marketing for it probably thought that it was not a godly movie and mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. i'm sure it came out that it was and you got a whole bunch of religious people going to see it too so i do remember when this movie came out like the trailers for it because when the trailers came out i'm like this movie came out years ago because i was thinking it was next right mm. would you watch this movie if kevin sorbo was starring in it <laughs> no because i know his audience is probably just clamoring to get him starring they're in this hungry now too. for sorbo Every, oh. <laughs> everyone's hungry for sorbo what is happening with that left behind sequel starring sorbo uh i'm sure it's getting mailed to everyone in the country i'm sure something's out with kevin sorbo did you hear about this they're uh, kevin sorbo's making the left behind sequel and in an interview he said how you know, everyone asked why uh, Nick Cage was in it, not me. He's like, nobody asked that. <laughs> not a single person. His, his mom might have. His accountant probably <laughs> asked him, like, why aren't you in more movies? You know, I'm pretty sure Kevin Sorbo only has one friend at this point. That's fucking Dean Cain. Well, apparently the sequel came out like January 2023. We all missed it. 
Yeah, Did we so, miss it though? Yeah. We must not have been raptured. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard from Kevin Sorbo in a while. We are the left behind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I'd, I'd rather. I think I'd rather burn than be in like the next world with Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Because I just know that Steven Seagal would make it as well. He would get raptured and he would live. I just know that somehow Seagal would make it. And I can't be in that world where like it's me shacking up with Seagal in a fucking like Jesus cabin in the woods. How wild would the rapture be if like for every two people taken that was one devout non, yeah. one like secular or like non Christian gets to go and like but you have to be paired up. So you get sent to like your own personal heaven and then you have to like be tutored by oh God, like by Seagal and or like some Sorbo. Mormon missionaries. Like you get sent to a planet just Mormon missionaries. I just imagine like two days into that, you you see a cut to Daryl and it's just um, Tommy Chong in Colorado space, the like desiccated <laughs> husk of a person. <laughs> you died in heaven? How is that even possible? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's so much risk. It feels like we're trying to describe who would be in the cast of like the anti-expendables, just the evil expendables. If it's not Stallone, <laughs> it's Seagal. If it's not Jason Statham, it's Kevin fucking sorbo the cancelables <laughs> <laughs> the cancelables yes oh what a horrible what a horrible timeline to live in and i'm sorry i even brought it up i'll disconnect from the discord call now someone yeah, trombone me out <laughs> <laughs> nah you're stuck here for wild it hurt speaking yeah. of which wild it hurt <laughs> let's do some uh quotes real quick too before oh, yeah. we completely oh, abandon this movie uh we've done our quotes we just didn't announce we were doing our quotes yeah i know god this movie was so uninteresting like dialogue wise uh i just got when nicholas cage was going off with his sister and he just says i'm the son of a preacher as he just kind of charges around by his stairs uh i have two i have two. uh one is um when cage goes to the gas station it's like and this is while the gas station is being raided. 30 minutes ago, there was a woman here. She was screaming. Which one? Um, and the other one is, the caves won't save us. Nothing can. <laughs> I uh, That scene at the gas station, I do love how he's like, there was a boy on a phone. He was nine years old. It's like, yeah, that guy was totally watching who was on the payphone outside. I do like how it's a plot point because of the solar flares. All cell phone activity is gone until it's not. Yeah. Until the son needs to contact uh, Nick Cage. Then his cell phone works again. Well, if you go landline to cell phone, that's okay. But cell to cell, not cool. It's like ass to mouth. Just can't in a family film. That's true. You can't do ass to mouth in a family flick. Well, you're saying Clerks 2 wasn't a family film? (laughs) Depends on your family. And we never got to see it. That's fair. Don't tell me about the ass to mouth. Show me the ass to mouth. <laughs> Can't do ass to mouth in a family film. I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was talking to three cowards. <laughs> I have a question for you, Daryl. How do you feel about movies that don't have Nick Cage in them now? It's a really particular thing, but it's like, I don't know how to enjoy movies anymore. I, t- I, t- I just don't know how to be a normal member of society anymore. When you watch so many films, but you watch it with like podcast brain on, it's you're just trying to think, just accept what's happening on the screen. You remember when you used to have a good time, like pre twenty twenty? Do you do you remember what fun and hope felt like? <laughs> I don't know anymore. I've tried to do so many different things. I tried like uh, using voice memos, like while I was watching a movie, just to like keep track of things. 
but then I've got like 13,000 voice memos that just come out with that dog. It totally like it ate poop. (laughs) And then I'm like, that, uh, where was that even in the movie? It's like, you were talking about Wallace. Yeah. I did like when you wrote the haikus. That was nice. No, haikus were pretty good. I haven't done anything like that in a little while. Yeah. Maybe I'll do like an interpretive dance. The sound only. Yeah. (laughs) Just the sounds of my, my besocked feet slipping. (laughs) Wild at heart. <laughs> That's the next one. That's the next one. Daryl, you're the professional. Yeah, let's hear you yeah, in sum summary. this one up. <laughs> sum this one up, big man. I fucking dare you. <laughs> uh, so we have uh, two inseparable lovers. Uh, we've got Sailor and Lula, who after dedicating themselves to each other and decide to have a life together. Um, Sailor is sent to jail after an act of self-defense, but when he comes back, Lula's mother does not want them to be together and sends a variety of strange, weird characters after them to um, prevent them from being the lovers they were meant to be because sometimes life is truly, let me look at my notes here, wild at heart. And weird on top. (laughs) <laughs> and weird on top yeah so the the assault at the beginning as he's defending himself and he kills that guy i just kept thinking of stop stop he's, he's already, already dead <laughs> yeah because he uh i mean yeah the guy had a knife and he was you know well and truly like put out by that first punch but no it's it's the face m- face meets banister that uh really sells that vicious beating yeah so Nick and I got to see this in theaters uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Sif here in Seattle did a Lynch series, and this lined up. So we both our both our first watching of this was on a big screen in a like crowded theater, which yeah. was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. A lot of people who really knew the movie too, but were not obtrusive yeah. or interested. Lynch has a pretty huge following, though. I mean, yeah, for such a bizarro director, he um... has a really big following here. I know. Because of Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks, yeah, but, it does make sense. Uh, but yeah, he does have a, a very, very interested and rabid fan base. So this movie's fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. I listened to an audio book of like the novellas. Um, I didn't listen all the way through because there's like a whole series, but the one that covers Wild at Heart. And it's it's really interesting because it's a uh, pretty what I remember straightforward, like pulp novel, nothing really lynchy about it or like super weird. I found it fun that David Lynch was uh, asked to help write it. And during the writing process, he was like, what if I like, like this movie so much, I want to direct it. And the guy was like, well, then I guess we'll just figure that out. And then he liked it so much, he ended up just being like, I want to direct this. And the guy's like, okay, fine. I mean, good call. Yeah. So you're telling me the novel wasn't completely smeared with, like, weird uh, Wizard of Oz references as well? No witches? No. Uh, my, My initial take from it was, like, the only things I found different in, like, key story stuff is there's no snakeskin jacket. So there's no lines about well, the snakeskin jacket. That was Nick Cage's jacket. Yeah. And he could wear yeah. it. Sailor wears boxers in the book. But obviously Nick Cage wears that banana hammock. 
I think that's just Nicolas Cage's underwear choice. Yeah, he wears that style a lot. Yeah. He's a big big leather jacket kind of guy. Leather jacket and banana hammock. So once upon a time, there was a... I I like to uh, send magazine subscriptions to my friends. And there was one that I would get that was called International Mail. And it was essentially just a banana hammock, uh, like mail thong um, catalog. catalog. And I would just get that sent to my friends' houses all the time. Sorry, let me just take a note of that international mail. Okay, yeah, yeah sorry, you were saying? <laughs> yeah. I will say, in terms of this film, so Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern, there's a lot of sexy scenes. And yes. they wanted uh, David Lynch wanted them to be comfortable they wanted to be comfortable with each other so they they needed to be like more personally closer to like perform these scenes so they decided to take a road trip to vegas together 300 miles just nicholas cage and laura dern just driving through the desert just sucking to get and to, fucking just to get to know each other yeah like that's cool that, that's a cute little story sucking and fucking it's the only way to take a road trip from what i've heard I, it's the only way to know someone truly is <laughs> to suck them dry. That or eat ribs. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you eat ribs with a guy, you know that guy. Only true a man by walking a thousand miles in his shoes and then sucking him dry. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the like sweaty shaft after a thousand miles? Is it a thousand consecutive miles? I think that's the only way. Because okay, good. Because you and I do go on walks a lot. And we I'm, do. I, I'm I'm worried. <laughs> Oh fuck! We do half marathons together. Yeah, we're getting up. Yeah, there. we've got some. We got some mileage together. Mm. <laughs> Sucking in fucking time. You've been running these marathons, going on these walks, like the Proclaimer song. I would walk, uh, you know, five hundred miles. I would not walk five hundred more. Well, you're not going to get sucked and fucked with that attitude. But you're running. You're rock hard, knowing that the end goal is that you're just going to both drop to your knees and jump at each other like a sick, twisted a zero. Full rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> Well, you do a stand-up 69 so you can cartwheel across the finish line together. Like, in fact, you can finish together. Oh, and we would. Our yeah. podcast just got very Lynchian. Two, two people just put uh, medals over our heads yeah. as we do. Speaking of cartwheeling, Nick Cage does that sick somersault out of a car at this point. Oh, man, that was rad. Sweet. Yeah. yeah, he was totally amped up and at his most athletic. For me, I don't, I don't care that much about the plot of this movie it's just it, like the style of it is fucking cool i had such a good time watching it yeah the plot i mean there's not a whole lot to it it's a pretty simple story it's nicholas cage is recently released out of jail he and lula decide to break parole and go down to new orleans she always talks about new orleans she wants to go dance and have fun he's like let's do it so they get down there, and then he's all like, I want to drive you all the way to California. It's like, okay, I mean, ambitious now. So they're going out that way, and meanwhile, the mom is sending somebody to kill Nicolas Cage. And then... Mostly just because she's a jilted lover, right? Uh, No, because she thinks that he was... Like, he saw Santos kill her husband Santos being her oh, that's right. like partner in crime and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. So uh, Nick Cage was driving for Santos that night, the night that Laura Dern's character's Lula's father died. Yeah. She's just trying to tie up loose ends. Yeah. I thought she was just mad because he wasn't going to fuck her. No, I think she was just trying to do that to like, I'm pretty sure he got a blowjob in that bathroom. 
Like, oh, well, they didn't show anything from the pants down. He could have been getting a hand job during that whole conversation in the stall. Oh, because she gets like, I'm not going to fuck you. She's like, I want to suck you. And he says no. And then she drags him in there anyway. Yeah. And then they. This movie has a lot to learn about consent. Yes. Oh. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Hell hath no fury like a mother scorned. So before going to see the movie with you, I was at our favorite watering hole and I was saying I was going to go see this and the guy, stranger next to me at the bar, delivers the snake jacket line. And I'm like, is that a line from the movie? I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> but then he also is like, so yeah, this movie, it's like really clever. It's like really, if you follow it, it really just follows like the narrative of the Wizard of Oz. And I'm like, I don't think you understand what subtlety means, sir. Because they just <laughs> reference the movie a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I don't recall anybody getting a new heart at the end. Remember the time in The Wizard of Oz when the really big ladies showed up and started dancing with their boobs out and like the cowboy like stood in the background? The film in a porno, Texas style. Yeah, it I took me a moment. Texas style. I want to know what Texas style is. Everything's bigger in Texas. So they had the really <laughs> big ladies. Like these ladies were big. These were like Houston. This film also, all-star cast. And there's a lot of top billing in this movie for people who are barely in it. Crispin Glover is in the opening credits, and he has less than two minutes of screen time. I fucking love a Crispin Glover cameo, and this one did not disappoint either. For something that lasts for two minutes and has no consequence at all. Oh, yeah. I'm making my lunch! Like So, Dell is just Lula's cousin, and he's got some mental problems, and <laughs> they just talk about like him... Like, with cockroaches in his underwear. Yeah, he, and... he has one on his anus, and he does his little, like, anus dance. <laughs> and he has the dirtiest Santa Claus costume. Because he wants it to be Christmas all year round. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David Lynch is such a weird director. Like, he has such an interest in, like, the grotesques of the world. And I, I think that it's really pretty fascinating, because he always puts these people in his movies that, like, look off or have weird bonk eyes or whatever it might be. And it's just... <laughs> It's really interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if he wants to showcase that or if he is just like, look at this weird shit. I, I can't tell. Yeah, I'm sure there's better motive than just, huh, look at this one. But uh, maybe, I don't know. But then again, I have watched his black and white weather reports. So <laughs> I'm not sure anymore. Did you guys notice that um, one of the guys at the party, the Texas porno party, was the main actor from Eraserhead? No, I missed that. Is that the, one, is that the dog line? Oh. I have a dog. And then there was that guy um, who's got the nystagmus where his, his pupils are always moving. Yeah. He loves his weirdness. He loves his freaks. Yeah. You know, yeah. he loves he loves the unusual. And I mean, like, the first time I sort of watched Wild at Heart, like, the, the story's, like, good. It's fine. It's that whole, like, forbidden love kind of thing with just some weird elements. And I didn't really care too much for the story of it, but it's just very interestingly shot. And then Willem Dafoe turns up with the world's tiniest <laughs> teeth, and it's just like... <laughs> Uh, you're disgusting. I hate you. Uh. Oh, they linger on those teeth so much. The the teeth and mustache combination that... Bobby Peru. How do you know the name of my Dr. Teeth cover band? <laughs> the great Bobby Peru. The, the tights over the face and he's just like got the saliva in his mouth. And he's just a creep. Just absolutely repulsive human being. Yeah. You don't have time for Bobby Peru. Like, Bobby Peru could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> I bet he could. That's my mash. Because he doesn't have enough big teeth. <laughs> oh, I did find the connective tissue. Uh, Lula does have a whole a line about how, like, 
the ozone layer is going to go away and the earth's just going to like be consumed by the sun. 29 yeah. years later, who'd have thought? 19? Yeah. 19. 19. 19. I, 19. I forgot how time works because I'm thinking about Bobby Peru's <laughs> teeth still. <laughs> They're so tiny. What do you think of Laura Dern in this? I love Laura Dern. Yeah. I mean, that was great. L- Laura Dern is a fox. Like, I'll, I'll say it. I think she's great in this. I think, like, as he said about the road trip earlier, obviously that's really paid off because I think the relationship feels, like, so real and powerful and the sex scenes don't feel like they're just putting him for the sake of it. Like, they feel like they complete this relationship and it's a meaningful part of what makes them sort of compatible together as well. And you, you sort of feel for both of them. Like, you kind of, you know, even though the story is... It's just like a lot of weird beats that sort of go in a weird sort of tangential, disparate line. But I think the relationship between them is great. Um, great. Laura Dern is uh, fantastic in this. Obviously, her her actual mother, Diane Ladd, who plays Marietta as well, is great. I think her mother got nominated for supporting. Yeah, actress. it was Best Supporting yes. Actress, yeah. For the weird lipstick shit, I'm sure. Yeah, reds up her face and looks like old WWF manager brother love. Just, just. If you don't know who Brother Love is, like listeners, Google it, and I promise you that's the most accurate reference you will hear all episode. That is the only fact you'll ever get from this podcast. <laughs> One of the things, so you talked about the sex scenes and the chemistry. I actually really did kind of buy them as a couple. But one of my my favorite quotes was. Um, Laura Dern goes, you got me hotter than Georgia asphalt. And he goes, say no more, baby, but go easy on me because tomorrow we got a lot of driving. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This movie has such amazing line reads from everybody. Oh, absolutely. Well, Cage and Dern on their little road trip can't like develop their characters and they developed it as like two sides of one character. So like that's how they get like really great chemistry. I'm sure is just that kind of definition of her playing the wilder, sexier side and him playing like that loose cannon, but like everything's the same. They're the same person. They complete each other. This is the third film. I want to say where Nick Cage plays a character who gets out of prison and brings his child, a stuffed animal. Are we third or fourth? Cause we've got the Connor. lion, the rabbit, the teddy bear. Cause we have stolen con air and this. Yeah. I forgot about fucking stolen. We all did. (laughs) But uh, yeah, this movie has such astounding line reads. Okay, I didn't save like a single quote. I have most of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's a total transcript. While while you're reading that, I'll, I'll give mine. Uh, so at the end of the film, after he leaves, he gets out of jail again for being involved in a bank robbery gone wrong. Uh, he gets beset upon by the most interracial gang I've ever seen in a movie. And they just, and he calls them, uh, a word for, uh, homosexuals, uh, and immediately gets like curb stomped where he sees, you know, the good witch who tells him to go back to Lula and he just stands up, nose all fucked up and he just goes, I'd like to apologize to you gentlemen for referring to you all as homosexuals. You taught me a valuable lesson in life. And then just walks away. <laughs> See, taking culpability for his actions, learning from his mistakes, it's a growing moment. Yeah, that's this, true. This is a morality film. <laughs> <so>. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I've grown because of it. 
All right, so here's a line reading of the entire movie by Nick. <laughs> Apparently, I saved a bunch of things that also weren't Nicolas Cage quotes, like just Dell saying, I'm making my lunch. And then a note that just says, I love Crispin Glover. So th- that's it didn't get better when I moved away from audio notes to just writing them down. Uh, it's It's still all pretty garbage in here. But I think the second reading of the snakeskin jacket quote is my favorite of the two where he's in the the club and the guy who's credited as idiot punk just is like you look like a clown in that stupid jacket and sailor just this is a snakeskin jacket and for me it's a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom and i feel it i feel it as well yeah and i want a snakeskin jacket now as well I have priced out snakeskin jackets after watching this, and it is definitely more expensive than just a Wild at Heart t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I can sleep in the t-shirt. You can sleep in the snakeskin jacket. <laughs> Daryl, did you have a quote for this uh, beautiful flick? Uh, sort of three that stuck out to me. There was a Bobby Peru quote um, where he describes what he calls Sailor Mr. Big Round Balls, um, which I really enjoyed. There was... One of those Lynchian characters who serves nothing to the story. They're sitting by that guy with a really high-pitched voice at the bar. Yes. Oh, and he's yeah. going, yeah, yeah, pigeon spread diseases, yeah. Um, and then after that, Sailor says he's he's t- telling a story about someone he'd slept with prior to Lula. Um, and he goes, I had a boner with a capital O. <laughs> that was my backup, yeah. I'm glad we got that in there. Yeah. <laughs> It's a boner. Boner. Bonafide boner. <laughs> Boy, are yawing. <laughs> I love alliteration. Oh, man. Yeah, this movie, it's... So there are so many, like, just really weird scenes uh, that caught my eye, like, that that are very David Lynch. Like, uh, one of the ones that I really loved that it's not a fast-moving scene. It doesn't hold a lot for the plot, but when they're at that gas station and Sailor's fueling up and Lula's just dancing in the car to the radio and that older black guy is just sitting there like kind of snapping his fingers and kind of slowly jamming. And it's just all the like little musical breakdowns that would happen. It reminded me a lot of Twin Peaks, which I'm initially familiar with for David Lynch. So a lot of my tie-ins go back to that. I really liked the guy humping the floor at the metal show too. Oh, just, yeah, he, so he sings Completely after, after he beats up uh, the punk. Oh, and the punk falls on a cigarette and goes, ow. But after he, like, after he beats up the punk, he. Those are the noises we make. He gets the, he gets the microphone. He's like, you guys know the song. And he like, just starts crooning. and Immediately everyone show. is playing the fucking right yeah. Elvis song. They know. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's, it's weird. And it's awesome and yeah no uh i'm gonna go uh, good cage good movie yeah i love that nicholas cage insisted on recording like singing his own songs like he sang it all yeah it's good what do you think of his fake nose at the end that was rough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that kind of nose comes with a free bowl of soup it's <laughs> uh so nick cage credits this film with being the movie that really got him out of like Oh, out of Be, method acting? Out of method acting because the script was being rewritten so often that he just couldn't. So he just got to like play around with it a lot more. I think it worked. Yeah, I think uh, 
what he brought to the performance or the character of sailor was like on par with me for some of his like other, like just greatest weird character roles like Peter Lowe or oh yeah all of his stuff. And like a uh, uh, Mandy just really strange and like good intensity and just bonkers content. So it, it was good for me. I really liked it. Do you have any closing thoughts on this film, Daryl? God, this is like Midwesterners kicking you out of their house. They're just like, well, about that time. <laughs> <laughs> we slap our thighs as we groan and stand up. Well, uh, and it's pointing at the door time. It, it crosses the water. Yeah. It's a universal, it's time to leave. Um, Wild the Heart, it's 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 very standout one for a lot of people. I think there's a lot of people who you find will place this maybe in their top five cage movies. I wasn't too hot on it the first time I saw it because I I'd seen Twin Peaks, but in terms of like Lynch movies, uh, this was the first one that I'd seen. So I guess I was like, I, I don't really know what's going on with all of this. But on a rewatch with sort of reflection as well, it's warmed up a lot more to me. Like I'm a lot sweeter on sort of the love story element of it and a bit more accepting of these lynching elements of throwing all this Wizard of Oz stuff in there. And, you know, unlike knowing, at least the ending makes some semblance of sense. So I have to take that into account as well. The lovers get back together. They have a boy that's not been abducted by aliens, so I think that's a win on both counts. Uh, but it, yeah, I think it gets a little bit better with each watch as you get a bit more used to what you're seeing. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Wild at Heart, and I think it's um, there's a reason why a lot of people sort of credit it so highly in sort of Cage's filmography as well. And it won the Palme d'Or um, in 1990, which apparently people hated. But you know what? To the 1990s French, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently the booze like kind of drowned out the applause for that film when it won the award. Yeah, the French didn't like him. I mean, if the French were satisfied, would anybody else ever truly be satisfied? It just sounds <laughs> terrible. They're they're best or at their best when they're suffering. Yeah, shame on Roger Ebert as well. He's usually quite a big cage defender, so. Uh, so not that it matters, because ultimately only Nick and my opinion here matters. But uh, Daryl, what would you put forward? I think on the basis that because the film at least has a through line that makes sense by the end, I would have to give it to Wild at Heart. Um, and No Aliens is an instant win in my book. Yeah, I mean, that's where I was going. Yeah, sound logic. <laughs> I mean, I would have passed it forward with less even. Um, just not being a Rapture movie is good enough for me. I also like to take into account, like if I could show this to somebody who had never seen it before, would I get enjoyment out of it? <laughs> and that this is one that I would get enjoyment yeah. watching somebody else watch for the first time. I love it. You hear that, pat uh, patrons? Join our uh, join our $20 tier and uh, let Nick watch you watch Wild at Heart. Yeah. Oh, that's literally just my girlfriend. So <laughs> I don't think she's going to pay $20 to continue living with me every month. Yeah, she's only on the $5 tier. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Wild at Heart goes for it, obviously. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, we do have some This Week in Cage news, because his new movie, uh, which I had no idea was even happening. What's it called again? The, the Retirement, Retirement Plan. The Retirement Plan uh, trailer dropped. And I don't remember if you said this to me, Nick, or if I just saw this online, but the like number one comment being, thank God Gary Faulkner's back. <laughs> yeah, that came up on Reddit. And it looks good. 
I spoke to the people on that thread and I told them that I was real excited for Army of Two where Lizzie comes <laughs> back in her wheelchair and like the two of them go on spy hijinks and try to take down Putin. So that's that's going to be the, the sequel to Army of One. I just can't wait for those katanas to come out the side of the, the oh, wheels. Yeah. Oh, she's got like those spikes on the side of her wheels like truckers. Yep. So like she gets going really hard and like careens into another car, shreds their tires and then it flips. Michael Bay is going to direct it. <laughs> It's going to be so good. Oh, so Lizzie. mad that we have to rewatch Army of One. I'm not. I'm so excited because I get to watch you watch it. And even though it's the second time, I'm still going to get enjoyment from yeah. watching you watch it. That'll be my third time. Yeah. <laughs> Bitty boy! <laughs> I fucking love that movie. No, Daryl, uh, thank you for being here. Really appreciated you uh, hopping on with us. Well, thank you. I've had a blast being on the show. Um you can join me on my journey to what I call true cage nirvana, covering all the films of the man I refer to as the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicholas Cage, from Valley Girl all the way up to the present day over on Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast, and all the usual streaming services. You can find me on all the social platforms as well. Um, and at the point of recording, I am in the venturing, uh, venturing into the world of Willem Dafoe, who also stars in Wild at Heart, in a podcast venture called Getting Dafoe You where we go in season by season looking at the works of Willem Dafoe and getting to know Dafoe a little better through all the highs and the lows of Willem Dafoe and he's getting Dafoe you. <laughs> and you can find that on all the social platforms, uh, Dafoe you pod and all the streaming services as well. It's really upsetting when our guests are better at our jobs than us. Well, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised by this. <laughs> That's so, fine. Well we, seasoned. we have the power of editing. You're going to look like such an asshole at the end of this. <laughs> You're going to throw so many trombones at me in editing. And I'm... You're going to be bleeped out, and we're going to come back in later with like, whoa, 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 you can't say that in oh, America. <laughs> <laughs> There's only three of those words allowed in America. You're going to edit so many slurs over me. But they're all going to be in my voice, weirdly enough, and, but we're going to pretend like it was you the whole time. <laughs> You're going to edit like, yes, yeah, so I thought William Defoe this. Why is that? Finally, we got one in. Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you for uh, showing some restraint for the last two hours. Yeah, really respect that. Thank you. I, you can't see me, obviously, because you're listening to this podcast, but I've been pouring with sweat to play a, a trumpet the whole time. <laughs> He's just been holding it. It's been really weird. <laughs> it's like, Daryl, why is your face so red? Shut up and keep talking. <laughs> Maintain. <laughs> All right, so next up, next episode, we've got uh, Gone in 60 Seconds and Ghost Rider's Spirit of Vengeance with going John, head-to-head with our uh, guest, John. Yeah, it'll be um, an interesting one to dive I'm into. Excited. I have only seen Spirit of Vengeance in theaters, and I remember loving it because it's weird and wacky, and it's got the Highlander in it. I can't wait to see what John brings his background of nuclear rocket scientry <laughs> into a Nicolas Cage film. It'll be relevant. I yeah. don't know. Probably. Plus, we get, a, get to talk about really greasy Giovanni Ribisi. Greasy. Greasy, <laughs> greasy Ribisi. Mm. That's almost as good as a touch of Tucci. Touch That's of our Tucci. next podcast, yeah. touch of Tucci. Yeah. And greasy with Ribisi. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank uh, you, everybody. You can find us on Instagram at cage underscore match underscore pod and Reddit at cage match pod. And if you are interested in supporting us, we are on Patreon at cage match. So thank you to our sparkle buddies, Josh, Sean, Josie, Rico, Matt, and Adam. And special thanks to our cage dancers, Ira, John, and Freeman. Anything else? Last thoughts? Daryl, wisdom to leave us on? 
Um, you know, as I say on my podcast, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you've got to do. He will show you the way to true cage nirvana and present us all with a golden hog. I don't know. Sucking and fucking. What a life. We're all, we're all just sucking and fucking our way through life. In five years, we all meet at a cages pyramid in New Orleans with the champagne and fried chicken. Absolutely. And a box of spiders. And a box, <laughs> a box of, of spiders. spiders for Daryl. For Daryl. <laughs> so you can have the experience. I won't be there. I'll try the whole thing. I'm not coming. I hate you guys. I hate spider season. <laughs> I hate everything about this. Bye bye. Heads or tails? You're just flipping your phone? I'm getting a new one. <laughs> That's true. All right, flip it. Uh, heads. Tails. Well, I didn't determine which one was what. <laughs> God damn it. Now you have to throw your phone again. Uh, uh, all right, but he- you should try it on the hardwood. Heads is knowing. <laughs> I mean the right. softwood. Knowing right. it is. Knowing it okay. is. All right. I'm my phone. That's where my notes are. I'm actually really happy that you're getting a new phone. People with single-digit iPhones... Creep me out. Whilst we're doing our Defoe podcast, uh, a friend of mine is editing it for us, and he's very insistent that we hydrate, and that's all that's drilled into me when I sit down to record anything now is hydrate, hydrate. I drink anything slightly carbonated or gassy. I'm just (laughs) belching the whole way through a record. Yeah, we just just make bad audio. Yeah. All so, my farts get edited out. Uh, what? Not all of them. There's been a couple that have made the cut. Oh, yeah. Nice. They squeaked in. 